so as we read Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15, this is the text we want to use in this particular uh, sermon today. And it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single command. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you, do, you are not consumed by one another. One of the most jarring sentences in the Bible goes like this. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burnt but have not love, I gain nothing. It jars us because Jesus said, No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. And he taught that one of the ways to love your enemies and to do good to those who hate us and to bless those who persecute us is to give freely of our possessions. But here Paul says, you can give away everything and even lay down your life and yet not by an act of love. And if it's not by an act of love, you can make the final sacrifice and still be lost forever. This means that conservative and progressive Christian political activity and think or thinking must be exposed to a radical biblical critique. So conservative values sum up uh, pro-life uh, and uh, the significance of family, a strong military, prayer, or at least chaplaincy in government schools, uh, the support of Israel and a balanced budget. Progressive values sum up uh, to work for a more uh, just distribution of the world's goods, a reduced military, programs to combat poverty, programs to combat unemployment, and so on and so on. And so conservative Christianity and progressive Christianity sum up uh, or summons us to action. They summons us to an active way of thought, and rightly so, so they should. But if there's one thing Jesus can't be accused of, that is, he and his followers are not indifferent to the needs of people. But there's a radical biblical critique with Christians on the right and Christians on the left that must not be forgotten. And that is, if you give away all you have, and if you deliver your body up to be burnt and have not love, you will gain nothing. Or to put it quite bluntly, you can go to hell fighting for poverty programs. You can still go to hell fighting for chaplaincy in schools because love can never be defined simply as mere deeds. It always involves the condition of the heart of the doer. And if we want to bring the message of the Bible to bear on the problems of the world around us, then we need to realise that the Bible is much more radical than the agenda of either right or left of politics. The Bible says to both agendas... No, sorry, Rob, don't go back. Though you give your body to be burnt in the service of your agenda and have not love, you gain nothing. 
Love can never be equated to anybody's agenda this morning because no agenda is love unless it comes from a certain kind of heart this morning. We might be impressed with a person who gives a million dollars to build a hospital in Bangladesh, but God looks on the heart and queries the hidden motives of the soul. Christianity is not primarily an agenda or a political activity. Christianity is primarily a power that radically changes the human heart this morning. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith made effective through love. Therefore, as we saw in last week's sermon, the heart in which the heart which is acceptable to God is not the one that depends on its works, whether they be works of morality, whether they be works of philanthropy. <coughs> you know what I'm talking about anyway. But rather the heart which is acceptable to God is the one which trusts so fully in the grace of God that the result of a life is a life of love. Now, love is an essential part of the process of salvation. It is not um, optional whether you love one another. No one can say, I'm saved by faith regardless of whether I love people or not. For the only faith which saves is faith made effective through love. That's what our Bible says. Faith made effective through love. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. Saving faith always gives rise to love, and love gives evidence of genuine faith. So Galatians 5 picks up the theme of love from verse 6 and presses it home with a command in verse 13. Through love, be servants of one another. Now some people may ask, why should Paul command us to love? If love is a certain result of faith, in fact love is a fruit of God's Spirit in Galatians 5.22. So why should Paul command us to love? The answer to that question is, even though God is sovereign over his people, and it is his Spirit that produces the fruit of love, nevertheless, God means of doing his work, including includes human encouragement. It includes us being called. It includes us yielding to that call. It includes us being co-workers with God. There is no contradiction between saying God brings about love in our hearts and the saying that one that, and the saying that, that one of the ways that he does this is that to remind us of love's importance with commands. There's no contradiction in either of those two statements. But the fact that Paul has now waited five chapters before he commands us to do anything but trust God, that alone should warn us not to take this command as a work of the law to be performed in our own strength to win God's favour. And so as we saw in last week, Paul attacks, Paul, 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 Paul's attack on the works of the law has not been an attack on commands, but on the religious teachings that somehow that we should try to fulfill these commands in our own strength in order to earn God's blessings. Commands are good 
and should be seen as a summons to have the obedience which faith produces. The command to love in Galatians 5.13 is a command to have a kind of free and confident love. That is, by its nature, uh, it has love. And I have found in my own experience that the Holy Spirit uses scriptural commands and, and, and especially the theological arguments of those commands to change my heart. That is why it is so important that we read our Bibles. And that is my hope for everyone here today as we look at Galatians 5, 13 to 15. I pray that God would apply His Word to your minds and to your hearts in such a way that love comes much more naturally and freely than it has done before. So the logic behind Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15 is very simple. First, Paul repeats the foundation of the Christian life. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Then based on that divine call, that you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, he gives a twofold command. Negatively, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And positively, through love, be servants to one another. Then to support this twofold command, which gives a positive and a negative, it gives a positive and a negative incentive to love. So possibly the incentive to love is for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And negatively, the incentive is if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you do not consume one another. So the main point of this text is through love be servants to one another. He used, I think he uses also the word slave. Be a slave to one another. If you do this, you fulfill the whole law. If you don't, you will destroy yourselves. Loving service and the true freedom. Let's focus first on the positive command of verse 13. Through love, be servants of one another. Listen to what happens when you put this command together with the first part of the verse. Through love, be servants to one another. You were called to freedom. Through service, be, be, be through, through love, be servants to one another. You were called to freedom from servitude. Now to love, now in love, submit to servitude. That's what he's saying. So here's the question we must ask. Why is love, which serves the need of others, the only way Christian freedom can express itself? Or why are the call to freedom and the call to love synonymous? When Paul says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he means that if you try, you will lose your freedom. As Paul says in Galatians 5.1, you submit again to the yoke of slavery. The work of the flesh and the work and the fruit of the spirit are not two different optional ways to live in freedom. When you live according to the flesh, you are in slavery. But when you, are, when you serve each other in love, you are in freedom. Why? Because love is motivated by the joy of sharing your fullness. 
Love is motivated by the joy of sharing your fullness. But the works of the flesh are motivated by the desire to fill your emptiness. The meaning of flesh in the book of Galatians is not the physical part of a person. Paul is taking, he's talking about the ego, the part of us that feels a deep emptiness and uses that by all means within its power to fill that emptiness. If it is religious, that is the means. If it is the law or if it is moral superiority, that is the means. If it is preference, that is the means. If it is irreligious activity, such as substance abuse or alcohol abuse or pornography, then that is the means that the flesh will use. But one thing is sure, the flesh is not free. It is enslaved to one futile desire after another. It is uh, in its effort to fulfill or to fill up the emptiness which only Jesus Christ can fill. So when Paul says in verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he means don't surrender the freedom that you have in in the all-satisfying Christ and return to an unsatisfied desire of physical pleasures and self-exhortation. So works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to fulfill an emptiness, to fill up an emptiness. But love is very different this morning. It is the motivation, or it is motivated by joy, to share from our fullness. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Love does not seek its own. When we love, we are not enslaved to use things. We are not enslaved to use people to fill our emptiness. Love is the overflow of our fullness this morning. Therefore, love is the only behaviour that can... Love is the only behaviour that we can do in freedom. When God frees us from guilt, when God frees us from fear and greed and fills us with his all-satisfying presence, the only motivation, the only motive left that, that is within us is to share our fullness. When God fills the emptiness of our heart with forgiveness and help and guidance and hope, he frees us from the bondage of, to accumulate things, to manipulate people. Over the last 30 years of church ministry, I've seen people devote large chunks of their life to surrounding themselves with the comforts of this world. And these people have all said the same thing. They say that God has not filled the void in their heart to overflowing. However, when God is our portion and we are truly free, then we will serve one another through love. So freedom flows forth in love just as surely as a bubbling spring flows in a mountain stream. Has anyone ever seen anything like this before? I've been up to Dalesford. I've seen the water coming out of the rocks. It's like a stream. If you go up to Mount Dandenong, there's actually places where you can pull over and get your bottle out, and there's a stream coming out the side of a rock. And they've made a car park place about as big as our church facility here so you can park and fill your bottle up. They're just like that. Oh, you've gone a bit too quick there, Rob. 
Sorry, I am waving my hands around. We can't <laughs> So freedom flows like a bubbling stream. Freedom flows forth in love like a bubbling stream. But what does the flesh look like? The flesh looks like a vacuum cleaner, doesn't it? It sucks and it sucks. And just at the moment when it starts to feel full, what happens? You've got to take the bag out and throw it away, don't you? So it can suck and suck some more. That's what the flesh does. So the book of Galatians is written to show us how to become a mountain spring and to serve the valley with water, the water of love. Next slide. There is more, there is no more fulfilling way to live than to draw daily on God's all-satisfying grace and let that grace flow through us to meet the needs of others. Verse 14 and verse 15 give us a positive and a negative motivation to live like this. First, verse 14, live like this, for the whole of the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. In spite of all the negative things that Paul has said about the works of the law, it is not a matter of indifference whether Christians fulfil the law in their behaviour. The good news is that love which is an overflow of God's grace, is the fulfilment of the law. It fulfills the law. Now, there's a lot of confusion today about the self-love that is referred to in the verse, love your neighbour as yourself. The most common error is the assumption that this is a command to love yourself and that self-love means self-esteem. But for these, both of these assumptions this morning are wrong. So Paul, Moses and Jesus assume that all people love themselves. They don't command it. You shall love your neighbour as you, you already love yourself. And the self-love they assume is not self-esteem but self-interest. It is self-interest. All people want to be happy, even if they don't. Off, even if even if they often don't know what they really want to, what will make them happy. But all people do want to be happy, and so we know this is how Paul understands this verse from Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-eight to twenty-nine. He applies the same notion in this verse. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no, one, no man hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Isn't that right, wives? Husbands love themselves, don't they? They, they, they nourish their bodies, don't they? <laughs> We've got Tim Tams today. <laughs> so can you see the self-interest? So he's saying, husbands, I know you have a self-interest. Apply that to your wives, just as Christ does to the church. In other words, love, self-love means a strong interest. Sorry, self-love means the strong interest you have in your own health, your own safety, and your own happiness. So, love your neighbour as yourself is not a command to love yourself. It is a command to take your natural, already 
existing self-love and make it the measuring rod of how you love others. Now, there, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder Bible command than that. There's, there's not a lot harder Bible commandment than this one in the Bible. It means wanting to feed the hungry as much as you want to feed yourself when you are hungry. It means wanting to find your neighbour a job as much as you are glad to have a job. It means wanting to help the person broken down on the highway as much as you are glad that you are not broken down on the highway. It means wanting to share Christ with your neighbour as much as you are glad to know Christ yourself. It's about using all the creativity and energy and perseverance to do good things for others that you use to do good for yourself. Caring about what happens to others as much as you care about what happens to yourself. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we all were like that? Not only would the law be fulfilled, this place would be shimmering with joy and the glory of God would be unmistakably present within our midst and people would be converted. Let's be like that. Let's be like that in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't, verse 15 gives the tragic alternative. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. A church of people who do not serve each other in love will destroy itself. God has been good to Christ church. He has poured out his spirit of love upon this church for over 150 years. And my prayer for you all is the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And remember, we can only love if we are free. That's it. We can only love if we are free. That is, love is the motivation and joy of sharing our fullness. Not by the desire to fill our emptiness, but by the desire and the motivation and the joy of sharing our fullness. I find it interesting that verse 15 describes what wild animals do when they are starving. While animals are empty instead of being content. They don't consume, destroy when they're content and satisfied, do they? If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. When you're not filled with God, it, it is rewarding to eat your enemy, isn't it? However, my friends, God has called us to freedom and fullness with overflowing in love. Not to, slavery of, not to the slavery of emptiness, which bites and devours and is never satisfied. Do the last slide now, Rob. In Jesus Christ, God offers us forgiveness. He offers us daily help and guidance and hope for the greatest future imaginable. And it is all free, purchased by the death of Jesus, received by faith alone, the secret of love is freedom, and the secret of freedom is utter, utter confidence in the love of God.
Please pray. Glorious God, I know that not everyone lives free. Some are bound by chains, some are bound by laws, some are bound by pain. Today, please give me the opportunity to make the free choice to serve and be served. <coughs> Let me use freedom to serve, not just to seek selfish pleasure. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.